0: Welcome to the High on Life podcast, where it's all about empowering you with the medicine and the mindset to healthfully lose weight and thrive beyond the scale. I'm your host, Dr. Sasha High. Well, hello, how are you all doing? This is episode two, and today I'm going to talk to you about why we so often don't follow through with what we should, in air quotes, be doing. So I wonder, have you ever had this experience before? You wake up in the morning and you're like, okay, today is the day. I'm gonna hit the gym. I'm gonna get my 10,000 steps in. I'm gonna cook that healthy recipe that I found on Pinterest that I've been meaning to try. You have all of these amazing intentions to start your day. And then you get to work. Maybe something went wrong with the project that you're working on, and maybe your boss isn't happy with you, and it's stressful. You get home and your kids are having a meltdown and they want you to wrestle with them even though you're exhausted. And then it's bedtime and they're dragging their feet and it's like, no, I need to go to the potty. No, I want a snack. No, I'm still thirsty. And by the time they finally go to sleep, it's way past nine and you are wiped. And all you want to do is sit down and veg out in front of Netflix with a glass of wine and a bag of chips. Has that ever happened? Sure has happened to me. So it's not uncommon that we start the day with good intentions. We're going to start our diet only to have that kiboshed by the end of the night. Now, why is that? Is it because we're all lazy and we all just lack willpower? I want to break this down for you to dispel the disappointment and the shame that can come from not following through, and then I'm gonna give you some really simple strategies to help you succeed in your healthy eating, even on your worst days. All right, let's start by understanding what happens in our brains. The most powerful and domineering section of our brain is structured around our survival, and it's very impulsive. This area of the brain is responsible for motivational and emotional drivers. And it's called our primal brain, or the reward brain. It's our limbic system. Now, actions at this level are motivated by three deeply rooted survival instincts. The first is to seek out pleasure, happiness, and comfort. I want you to think about humans thousands and thousands of years ago. And in order for the human species to survive, we needed to have sex and we needed to eat food and so these things our brain is geared to have a lot of reward associated with these things a lot of pleasure so that we continue to seek them out and that's why it's a survival instinct so the things that are essential for survival like food and social relationships and reproduction acceptance and recognition are going to generate pleasure So that's the first instinct. The second instinct is to avoid pain. Our brain is very motivated to keep us safe. Our limbic system wants to protect us from danger, whether that's physical, emotional, or mental pain. Now, whereas thousands of years ago, we had true physical danger, and our brain really did need to motivate us to escape that physical danger, right, like getting killed by an animal that might be chasing us, We don't have that type of physical threat, really. Most of us don't have those physical threats anymore. And so now the brain perceives emotional threats, things like stress and boredom and anger and fear as dangerous. And so we're evolutionarily wired to want to avoid these things. The last survival instinct is to conserve energy and seek efficiency. Essentially, find the path of least resistance to achieve the first and the second, to seek pleasure, avoid pain. So, what does this part of the brain sound like when it comes to eating and exercise? Well, seek pleasure sounds like, yum, those cookies taste really good. Let's have some more. And avoid pain sounds like, Ugh, I'm so stressed. I need to make this go away. Where is that glass of wine? And conserve energy sounds like, no, I'm too tired today. I'll hit the gym tomorrow. Based on these very powerful and very ancient survival instincts, Our default position as humans is actually to eat more and exercise less. These are the default position unless we deliberately use skills to try to resist these survival instincts. Now, fortunately, we have a higher level human brain, the the conscious part of our brain, that's called the prefrontal cortex or our executive functioning, that can overcome these strong survival urges from our limbic system. Our higher brain, the executive functioning, is where we have the ability to reason and research and apply logic. Here's the thing, though. Your executive brain works really well under optimal conditions. When it's first thing in the morning and you've had a great night's sleep, you have no stress or anxiety, your kids are perfectly behaved and your career is on point, prefrontal cortex is firing well. But your executive brain does not work so well at 9 o'clock at night after a long and stressful day when the kids had meltdowns before bed and your boss yelled at you and you've been asked a billion questions all day and you have decision fatigue. Throw in a glass of wine or two and your executive brain is essentially tuned out. It's down for the count. It is no longer engaging in any more decision making. You can think of your executive brain like a battery. It's charged up in the morning, but totally flat by the time 9 p.m. hits. So that's when that primal limbic system that really just wants to seek pleasure and avoid discomfort is loud and kicking and telling you all the reasons why you deserve another bowl of popcorn or another handful of chocolate almonds and you deserve to veg out in front of Netflix. Not only Do we have the issue of this sleepy executive brain that isn't engaged? We also have our brain's amazing capacity to learn, what we call brain conditioning. The more you do something and the more you practice something, the stronger the corresponding neural pathways become. Then if you add in a powerful reward like food, the brain quickly notices the importance of these behaviors and delegates them to autopilot. So you form an unconscious habit. So let me give you a scenario of what that looks like. Here's how it goes down. So you had a bad day at work, your boss yelled at you, you're feeling stressed. Remember, your brain sees stress as danger and immediately seeks to avoid pain by suggesting, well, you know what, ice cream is going to make you feel better right now. So you eat the ice cream and your brain gets a big hit of dopamine, which is the pleasure neurotransmitter. And your limbic system is like fired up. It's like, oh, yes, that feels good. So it forms a memory because clearly something that gives you pleasure is really, really important. That's kind of how your brain perceives it. And it it stores it in the memory bank so that you can do that again. Now, do you remember the famous experiment with Pavlov's dogs? Pavlov was a Russian physiologist, and he did a set of very famous experiments demonstrating a concept called conditioned response. So he observed dogs at feeding time, and every time he fed the dogs, he rang a bell. And after doing this repeatedly, the pairing of the food and the bell eventually established the dog's conditioned response of salivating to the sound of the bell. So he kept on doing this and kept on doing this, and then he took away the food, and even just ringing the bell would cause the dog to salivate. Our brains are the same. We develop conditioned responses due to something called associative learning. So going back to the last scenario, when we were stressed and we ate the ice cream and our brain perceived that that was good and we got a lot of reward, our brain also made note of the fact that as we were eating that ice cream, there was dim lighting and it was evening time and we were in our living room and we were sitting on the couch and the TV was on. And now all of those environmental cues are associated with the conditioned desire for ice cream. So the next time it's dim lighting and it's evening and you're in the living room and the TV is on, your brain is like, oh yes, let's go back to the memory bank. I remember pleasure associated with this environment. And it starts sending you all these messages of wanting and urges that it's snack time. And that is how an autopilot habit begins. This is why many of us find ourselves wandering back to the pantry for the second or third time every evening looking for another snack, despite the fact that we know we are truly not hungry. Our reward brain is sending up impulses or desire to eat because it's been conditioned that that's just what we do when it's dim lighting and it's the evening, it's the end of a long day. So let me summarize what we've gone over. Number one, our brain's survival instincts are geared to seek pleasure Avoid pain and do what requires the least amount of effort, i.e. eat more and exercise less. Number two, our prefrontal cortex, the conscious part of our brain, is responsible for making sound decisions. But it's sleepy and it's depleted like a dead battery by the time the end of the night comes around. And number three, we engage in overeating behaviors because of conditioned responses to cues or stimuli in our environment that our brain has associated with food. Now, when we don't understand all of this, we find ourselves kind of going through these motions and behaviors, living in autopilot, starting out with good intentions in the morning, and then disappointing ourselves night after night when our quote-unquote willpower has failed yet again. And we might not understand why our actions aren't aligning with our intentions and we don't know what to do about it. What most people do is they'll say, oh yes, of course, it's because I haven't found the right diet yet. It must be paleo. That is the answer. Or it must be keto. It must be Whole30 or low calorie or counting points. But the thing is, it never really was about the diet in the first place. Following a diet or having someone write out a meal plan for you assumes that you don't already know what you should be eating. But that is just not the case for most people. Because most people don't have a knowledge gap. They have an implementation gap. Most people know what they should be eating. They're just not doing it. And that's why the real key to successful weight loss and long-term health and wellness is not about finding the right diet. It's about getting to the root of how do we actually follow through? All right, now you're probably wondering, so what can I do then? If my brain is just kind of wired this way, what do I do about that? I'm going to give you three really simple strategies, and this is by all means, not exhaustive, but here are three simple strategies that you can start practicing right away. Strategy number one, make decisions ahead of time. Our executive brain works well when it's making decisions ahead of time. When we're in the moment of impulse, that is when primal brain kicks in and is all about like being impulsive and seeking pleasure and avoiding pain. So if you find yourself battling willpower all the time, or you're dealing with like a lot of mental chatter, like, should I have this? Shouldn't I have this? Oh, just this once. No, I really shouldn't. I'm trying to stay on track. And you're like kind of feeling like you're trying to muscle it with willpower. It's likely because you are trying to battle your instincts to seek pleasure and avoid pain and do what's easiest using willpower. But that is exhausting and it typically doesn't work long term. So there's actually a lot of freedom that comes from making decisions ahead of time and then just following through. And it's different from using willpower. When you make decisions ahead of time, there's no debate. You kind of close your brain off to debating whether you should or shouldn't in the moment. Like if you're going out for dinner, for example, and you've already reviewed the menu and you know what you're having that night and you've decided, am I having dessert tonight or not? And you get there and everyone else is like eating all the things, you're not having to have that mental chit-chat back and forth where you're kind of debating with yourself because you've already decided. And it's actually v- much, much easier to just follow through with the decision that you've made than trying to make the decision in the moment. So here's some other examples. So I mentioned reviewing the menu of a restaurant and deciding what you're going to eat before you get there. Another one would be going to the grocery store with a list. You don't want to get there and have your brain kind of seeing all of the fun foods. I don't even like calling them fun fun foods. All of the foods that produce a lot of pleasure, like lots of high sugar, highly processed foods, and then kind of giving you all these reasons and coming up with reasons that you should buy all of those things. So when you go with a list and you've decided and you follow through, that's much easier. Schedule your exercise into a calendar So you look at your week and you're like, okay, Tuesday morning, Thursday morning, those are my days I'm going to do my workout rather than hoping, fingers crossed, when I wake up on Tuesday that I'm going to feel like doing it. Of course you're not going to feel like doing it. It's not about feeling like it. It's about deciding and following through. And then planning your dinner at least one day before. And this is the one I find people are so resistant to is the idea of meal planning. I'm suggesting one day before, some people like doing meal planning a week before and like having their whole week laid out. Other people find that very overwhelming. All I'm saying is you don't want to wait until like 5.30 the day of and you're exhausted after work and your kids are exhausted and hungry and to try to make a decision about what you're going to make at that point because you're likely not going to make a great decision. That's when your brain's going to be like, oh gosh, let's just get takeout. That's way easier. But you decide ahead of time and you make that decision. It might involve some prepping as well. And it's so much easier. You're basically setting yourself up for success rather than failure. So when you schedule things into your calendar, you make decisions ahead of time and then you learn to commit to it. The other thing that I'm really big on that it, it accomplishes is it builds your integrity to self. A lot of people develop this sense of like, always feeling that they're letting themselves down because they set out with the good intentions and then they don't follow through because they really set themselves up for failure to begin with. And then it degrades their trust in themselves. So this process of deciding it ahead of time, committing to it, writing it down, then following through also builds your integrity to self. Okay, that was strategy number one. Strategy number two is find ways to recharge your battery. Food provides a very brief form of pleasure that I actually like to call false pleasure because it does not do a very good job of recharging your battery. When you're stressed or anxious and you've had a long day, remember your executive brain is like a battery that has been completely depleted and your primal brain just wants to do whatever is quick and easy to temporarily relieve the stress or anxiety because it sees that as danger or discomfort and food is the go-to for many, many people but food does a very poor job of solving for stress. In fact, it often actually adds more stress in the form of regret and disappointment or a feeling of failure. And that's why I call it a false pleasure. It's a pleasure that seems good in the moment, but is associated with an overall net negative effect in your life. So it's important to find other ways to recharge your frontal cortex battery that don't carry a net negative. Things like going for a walk in nature, listening to good music, journaling, doing an endorphin-boosting workout, or taking a warm bath. There are countless things that you could put on your list for self-care, but you want to find things that actually recharge you, that feel good for you, that don't have that overall negative effect in the end. The thing is, your brain likely won't remember this list of self-care activities when you need them, right? Like when you're stressed, your brain is going to forget all these things and just go to what's easy and quick, which is usually food or alcohol. So one trick is actually to write down, I like post-it notes, you write down your five self-care activities and you keep them somewhere visible so that you can cue your brain in those moments of stress or anxiety. Strategy number three is to manage your environment. I told you about associative learning and our conditioned responses. So if you know that your brain is kind of getting cues from your environment that are triggering it to want food, then try changing it up a bit. Instead of sitting in your living room after supper, go upstairs to your bedroom. Instead of TV time, maybe read a book. I know for me, if I work on my computer at my kitchen table after the kids are asleep, I will for sure end up grabbing some nuts in the pantry. It's just like that is my conditioned response. Doing my work, go grab a handful of almonds. But if I work upstairs in my bedroom, then I won't. Like, I'm not going to come downstairs and do that. My brain is just not kind of, doesn't have that association. So that's a really helpful strategy if you're finding, like, this is a recurrent pattern. And that's why it's also really good to observe your own patterns. Then there's other ways of changing your environment that may be helpful, like putting junk food down in the basement instead of in your kitchen. Or moving For example, the bread off the counter to a less visible place. Essentially, what you want to accomplish is getting yourself out of autopilot behaviors and then also reducing the cues to your brain that suggest it's eating time. Let me recap. I'm going to recap those three strategies. So number one was make decisions ahead of time. Number two is recharge the battery of your prefrontal cortex. And number three is manage your environment to reduce food cues. And as you start practicing these things, I am confident that you're going to see that you're going to be more inclined, more able to follow through on those really good intentions of taking care of yourself and sticking with your eating plan. So let me know how it goes as you try out these strategies. All right, have a wonderful week, everyone. Bye. Thanks for joining me today. If you enjoyed listening to the High on Life podcast, please take a moment to subscribe, share, and review it on Apple Podcasts.